Hello, coffee lovers, and welcome to the God Country Live Video Podcast. Every every Friday evening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And now, live from Seguin, Texas, and other places around the world, your host, Jose Roberto Alaniz Jr. Hello, coffee lovers. It's 1900. It's Friday night, so that means it's time for God Country Coffee. And uh, there's a, I got this theme of Marines that just keep coming on the show. I, I don't understand it. Uh, uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, we have a great guest tonight. Um, as usual, uh, I'll put in the links as we're going. I'm still trying to support uh, Brian and Kat Stacy. Um, Kat is uh, trying to recover from cancer. They're extremely godly people. They put all their faith in God. Uh, and so uh, I think I ask about this GoFundMe more than they do. But, um, you know, Brian hasn't worked in several months because he's been at the hospital in Mexico with Kat. And anyway, uh, anything that you can do, especially if you can just share it, uh, that's probably the best thing that we can do is uh, is share it. So I'll put that in the comments at some point. Uh, other than that, <clears throat> uh, I'll put D1, which is the code for for uh, our discount code uh, for anything in the shop. And um, other than that, I'm going to bring all my guests and then we'll, we'll get started with the show. All right. Hang tight. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's very unusual for me not to be drinking coffee. Uh, but uh <laughs> when I roast, <laughs> when I roast, I drink a cup from every single batch. Okay. And so I, I did 10 hours yesterday and about 11 and a half the day before of nonstop roasting both days. And so I, uh, I have to back off a little bit <laughs> so I can taste other foods again. Uh, but yeah. uh, I am. Do you do anything <laughs> to kind of reset your palate? I quit drinking coffee for about a week. Okay. That's what I do. Like I drink no coffee at all. I won't drink any coffee for That's about brutal. a week. And, and, and it is brutal. I, and, and if I'm in a pinch, like if I'm on a really bad pinch, I go back to my, you know, my uniform days and I, uh, I do the, um, you know, the energy drinks and, uh, <laughs> it's gotta be a rip it, right? What's that? It's a rip it, right? You got to hit a rip it. Uh, I I I drink rains. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I I'm I mean I'm always up for something else. Well, rip it is like the official energy drink of of any war. I, I mean, in Afghanistan, that's all we all we had. We had rippets, and we really? had these things called mega sports, which uh, they only had one flavor, and that was lemon lime. And still to this day, I refuse to have a lemon lime flavored anything. I won't taste, I won't do a lemon lime. Um, and of course you had water that had been sitting out in the sun for, you know, since Iraq, but so that's all you had to drink. So in the, in my truck, before we'd leave the compound, every time we'd uh, call out rip it time and we'd all crank a uh, little eight ounce can of rip it. That's kind of yeah, a little the, ritual. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's funny. I I uh, 
I got out of the service before most of the guys who went to Iraq and Afghanistan got out of high school uh, or even got into high school. I mean, I don't know. What, what year were you born? 91. I'm 30 years old. Yeah. So I got, I got, I joined the service in 90 and then I got out in 94. And um, that, that was, you know, one of the guys that I served with uh, Scott Riley, he's, he's um, still in the reserves and he got deployed two years ago, year before last. He got deployed last year or the year before last. I don't know. It's a new year. I get confused. That's what happens when you get old and you start forgetting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we um, we served together and then I got out. And then when 9-11, a lot of guys that we served with were going back in. You know, I was like, man, you know, go. They need people. They don't need to train. And so yeah. uh, some of the guys, when Scott stayed in, um, and I, I actually got to see him and one of our other shipmates, uh, John, in Florida last year. Um, I went I went this time. I went March because my dad's birthday is the 17th and it's John's birthday. And we hadn't seen each other since 1992. Yeah. And and so we, we kind of got back together. And it, it was nice to see my shipmates, man. I hadn't seen them in forever. Scott had got back from his deployment. And, and so he was transitioning. But, but um, anyway, well, listen, man. Um, Thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking your time. I appreciate it. As always, I like to thank God for everything that he does in my life. And I'm going through some transitions right now, and I don't quite understand them, but I know that God's in control. And so I put my trust in him, and I know that as long as I do that, uh, he's just going to continue to bless me and my family and my business. Yeah, for sure. And so um, I thank God for that. Um, as we get started, what I usually do, I ask you a question. And while you're doing that, I'm going to share the podcast of the other platforms uh, before we get into anything really deep. And so um, tell us where you're from, where you were raised, if they're different, and then what led you to join the service. You know, if you were a child kid, you know, tell us that. It's always fun to hear. Yeah. So I was born and raised actually in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, my dad's my dad's family moved down here in the 70s, uh, and my mom's family is from just outside Greensboro in a town called Winston-Salem. And so uh, born and raised here, actually uh, grew up here and, and graduated high school from here. And then um, my mom and dad are actually Marines, and so they they actually met at the reserve unit that I later ended up serving time at as well so all three of us served at the same reserve unit at different times so basically um mom was active duty she was she spent time in okinawa as a heavy equipment operator and then she got out of the marine corps and then came back in as what they call an active reservist, which is you're an active duty Marine, but you work at a reserve unit. And, uh, so she was, she went on as an admin staff, basically just, you know, doing admin work. And then my dad, uh, was a reservist from 80 to 92 at the Greensboro reserve unit. And so he was a, he finished as a gunnery sergeant there in 92 and um yeah so they they met there um had me and my brother and so now my brother is actually also he's an officer in the navy he's an ensign he just he just commissioned back in december um gave me this pretty sweet coin 
that was actually my great grandfather's coin from 19 or excuse me 1887 Let's see if we can see that if you can see the there um ensign sean and Kerwin <laughs> presented to me and that's my name and so i i flew up there to maine um in december in the freezing cold uh i lost 20 22 pounds last year i went from 177 down to 157 in about eight months to fit back in my dress blues so i could go and see him graduate and put my dress blues on um he wanted me to be his first salute and so i did it it's been five years since i've worn them five years since i shaved my beard and got a a fade again i've always kind of had the fade but never a skin fade you know um so yeah that was a great experience and then my sister is actually stationed on the uss wasp in norfolk and she's an e4 um she's been in she actually went in in february of 2020 so her <laughs> her eight-week boot camp was a 12-week boot camp and she got quarantined like four or five times oh wow like, like didn't even do battle stations just couldn't do it yeah and so um yeah she's an e4 sean and and both of them are older than me i went in at 19 okay so i, I joined during the war went in at 19 did the whole thing came back reserves afghanistan reserves again then got out but my my brother is 18 months older than me and my sister is 10 years older than me my brother just went in last year at 32, 31, and then my sister went in at 38. So, but wow. that's uh that's the rundown on me. I I graduated from Guilford Tech, it's a local community college in in Greensboro, um, and then did my bachelor's degree online at Liberty University. Finished that in 2019. My daughter was born in 2018. Um, and then I just found out last Friday, we're having a little boy, um, born. He's going to be, uh, due in July. Wow, dude, that's amazing. First yeah. off, the backstory on your family is ridiculous. I mean, who, I, I mean, mean I also grandpa is, uh, grandpa would spent like 10 years in the Navy too. And all of his brothers were in World War II. So my, my dad was in the military and his youngest brother joined the military. Dad was in during the fifties. He was in Turkey when the uh, Russians shot down the YouTube. Um, his youngest brother joined because of dad and he ended up doing, I don't know how much time in Laos uh, during Vietnam. And, uh, and then we have other family members that were in, well, we have like, there was nine or 10 uncles on both sides of the family uh, that were all World War II guys. We had one, one guy that was a, basically a medic pulling people off the battlefield. Uh, and then, um, and then we, I've got a great, great uncle who was in, uh, I've got all the documentation where he went to France in World War One, And so I've always thought that, you know, that's, that's a pretty solid military chain, you know, but I mean, both parents and then your whole family. I mean, that's just amazing. Talk about service to your country. Uh, you guys, I mean, that's, 
It doesn't get in any any more um, service than that. I mean, that, your whole family. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, my uh, my dad, he has six sisters and a brother. Um, he was the only one that, that joined out of that crowd. But, yeah, and I mean, my wife told me that I can't, you know, influence that on my children. But, you know. Which is fine. My parents didn't want me to join the military. Um, they, my dad, the reason my dad joined because he wanted to get out of town and I think he wanted to do something different. And, and um, but you know, he had, he worked really hard. What's really inspiring about the, the story behind my family is, um, you know, my grandfather went to school at night, had eight kids, put food on the table retired from the same job that he started at at AT&T um and then my dad turned around provided for three children went to school at night worked for AT&T and IBM and then you know was in the military all that and then I did the same thing I joined the military and I went to school at night and had kids and did all that and so each generation has kind of taken the harder path. You know, it's, it's been, and especially the path that I took was forged and, and brought on to me by a clear message from God to, to not just be okay with, uh, he had bigger plans for me. He had more opportunities for me. Uh, and he pushed me towards, getting a higher education and ultimately that higher education ended up affording me the opportunity to work a job that granted me the freedom that I have to be able to make the impacts that I have in my community to give me the free time to do that. So, um, and to be able to, to offer whatever kind of financial resources that I have to be able to use that for his glory, really. I mean, so, um, it's been a really looking back on it, seeing how God has worked in these little pieces of my life that have been amplified over the years, like a ripple effect almost. Um, so that's been really cool to see, but uh, it's, it's really a crazy story with only, I'm only third generation. My, my grandfather was born here, but his dad, uh, great grandpa, Joe, was from england and ireland so just in three generations we've been able to make such progress um as a family so it's it's been it's a great uh burden to bear for sure and it's something we're really proud of yeah that's you know and it's always that first generation that gets here that just whatever for whatever reason they came here uh, we're going to make a better life. And part of that, I like m my grandfather on my mother's side, he didn't ever serve. He, he had flat feet and he had all kinds of other medical issues, but he came here from Mexico. And the most important thing, like this is why I get so frustrated with immigration. He was so frustrated. <clears throat> he made me frustrated with my, with my, because of the way he lived his life, but he got here. And the number one thing that was important to him was to get his paperwork correct. So he got his, you know, he got his citizenship. He got, he was a naturalized U.S. citizen or whatever you call it. And when you get your green card and, um, 
and he started a business and uh and then he started another business and then he's and i wish that i would have been a little bit older i wish my parents would have had me you know if i my sister my sister's about two years older than me and that might have been enough it might not have been enough but i wish i could have you know checked out his how he did business because he could he was illiterate couldn't read or write a word of english or spanish but he made millions of dollars and i don't know how he did that and um but he was really good at what he did. He was great with people. Uh, and so, but it's always that first generation, man. It's just like, it sets the tone for the rest of yeah. your family, you know, it does. for everybody, it does. After, you know, and so I think it's really cool. Um, but, you know, again, like sons don't follow their father's footsteps. I did. I, my, I, my dad was, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to say that I thought he walked on water, but he was definitely like Superman-ish. You know, and uh, I always just, you know, admired him. And my son wants nothing to do with the military at all. He's like, you know, government control and all this other stuff. You know, he just doesn't, he's just not his thing. And he's a really smart kid, but well, he just, you know. Whether he worked for the government as a, in the military or, or not, there's still government control. But <laughs> if you look hard enough. Yeah, until you, I mean, and I, 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 you know, I left my job to own my, to run this business. Uh, this is my fourth business that I've done. The first three, I knew nothing what I was doing, ran them all into the ground. Uh, and it was the same business. I tried to do welding three separate times. And by the time I got finished, I was a master welder, still didn't know anything about business. And yeah. so it was, uh, it was rough. But I didn't also have the community of veterans, entrepreneurs that, uh, that I have now you know, with the Vetpreneur tribe and all the different groups that are out there uh, of us veterans helping each other, especially with business. Um, but so I, I still just, I'm fascinated by your story, man, but let, let's get into what you did in the military. What did you do in the military? Okay. So yeah, I joined in 2011, um, just shortly out of high school. I, I took Adderall growing up basically all my life. And so I had to be clean of that for a whole year before I could sign up. So I decided I wanted to join the Marine Corps in December of 2010, 2009. Can't remember. And then I was actually cleared to, to get in and yeah, December of 2010, I, I signed the, did the whatever swore in and then I was gone in 2011 so uh basically I, I i wanted to do a skill that i felt like i could transfer outside of the military um dad convinced me to go reserve because he wanted me to go to school he had saved his whole life basically for me to go to school and wanted me to do it so i went reserve and i got attached to the greensboro reserve unit uh, they're a communications unit they're part of uh clr combat logistics regiment 451 the last i heard i don't know if they've they've left that regiment or not but so went to 20 uh, went to paris island in february from february to may and then came home for my 10 days went to combat training and and uh camp geiger there at, uh in north carolina and then went straight out to 29 palms and spent, I think it was three, four months I spent in 29 Palms as a boot. And so that was pretty fun. I met some, probably one of the best friends I've, I've had 
since then, same Scott Pitcher. We've um, we've probably the one that I've kept up with the most since getting out of the, the Marine Corps. Um, but then came back off reserve duty or came back to reserve duty in Greensboro, started going back to school, all that, and didn't really like it that much. Um, as far as the reserve side, I, I really enjoyed being a Marine. I was good at it and I really missed it pretty much from the second that I got done. So, um, did everything I could to try and find a deployment to go to and got lucky and, and was able to sign up to, to go to Afghanistan and volunteered for that. So <clears throat> 2013, we went to, we went up to Quantico to do some preliminary training in Quantico in January. It's freezing cold, walking to the showers in the snow and things like that. Um, and then left Quantico, showed up at Camp Lejeune in March and just basically, you know, hit the ground running when we got to Lejeune. Stayed over in French Creek. If every, if anybody knows what that is, it's like the, the bottom feeders or at least what I felt like, you know, no AC and mildew and who knows what else and the, the ventilation systems and stuff like that. Um, so state of French Creek was part of combat logistics battalion six, which, uh, if you don't know, logistics battalions are basically, we provide everything that a, we usually attach to, um, well, so in our particular situation, we were the CLB that was on Camp Leatherneck when we were in Afghanistan. And so we had the most trucks and we provided the most logistical support for all of all of Afghanistan, really, and all of our Ford operating bases. So we'd, we'd haul a gear, equipment, anything that needed to go out to some of these fobs and cops. And so we, we conducted a lot of excuse me we conducted a lot of convoys we had three platoons <clears throat> excuse me we had three platoons and we'd go we were always uh, outside the wire going someplace so was there from may to december and i was there during part of the drawdown so towards the end there you know things got not slower, but we wanted to spend less money and we wanted to bring troops home. So that's what they started doing. And, but while I was there, basically they <clears throat> handed me a radio and they said, you're going to learn how to use this. I was, I went to comm school to be a telecommunications Marine. And so I did that. And then they were like, Oh, you're communications. Well, here's a radio, figure out how to use this. And so I wasn't there in a communicate in a uh, logistics battalion. There's usually a, a communications unit or a communications platoon that'll do comm work for the whole battalion. Well, I didn't get put in that. I got put into transportation support company, which meant I was embedded into a platoon full of uh, motor vehicle operators. And so uh, that meant that I worked on the trucks, drove the trucks, greased the trucks, everything that was involved. I did that stuff. Um, I didn't have the licenses for everything. I had 
the seven ton license when I got to Afghanistan, they they put some of us through a course so that we could drive them. So I had a seven ton license, which was really fun. I got to drive uh, a seven ton on one convoy. That was sweet. And so, but I did all sorts of stuff. My main my main responsibility, like I said, was with the radios. <clears throat> so me and two other guys would set up the communications for the whole convoy, which was great because they were pretty much never going to work the whole time anyways. So nobody really expected much of us. Um, so we set up the communications and then they would inevitably fail. And we go back to, you know, doing nothing on the convoys except just sitting there and listening to music. And so I, I sat in the assistant convoy commander's truck, which meant uh, basically anything that was going on internally to the convoy, whether it was an ID explosion or uh, somebody's load shifted or somebody needed refueling, we would always go up and help or advise or provide security and things like that uh, wherever we were. So uh, that was pretty much my tour in Afghanistan. Came back in December and two weeks later, I was back in a classroom trying to compartmentalize the last five months i guess and then i ended up getting out in 2017 the years from 2014 to 2017 were um i don't know not great they were nothing really compared from nothing really compared to afghanistan or, or active duty trying to convince people who have never served in a war effort or had never really had that level of, I mean, they were Marines, but the typical reservist attitude shown through a whole lot more than it did before I went to Afghanistan because I, I knew the difference. And so it was just, it was just hard for me to kind of have one foot in one foot out all the time. Um, I just didn't feel like the reserves was really for me anymore. So when my, when my time ran up, it ran up, we were out of Afghanistan. Um, or at least they weren't deploying massive amounts of Marines there anymore. I think they, I think they declared the war over the war effort over in like 2015 or something. But anyways, I, I didn't feel like I had a, uh war to fight there anymore and so i got out that's uh <clears throat> i don't know it's a common thing that i've had a lot of people a lot of guys that went overseas and i, I never served in combat I, I got out when you were i mean a couple of years after you were born so uh there wasn't much going on in the world man in 1994 uh, <clears throat> we uh we were we caught the tail end of the first gulf war yeah uh, which kind of put us in that bracket to get the um, whatever it is you get the national defense and then you get the cold war thing when they, when they did that. But, um, but a lot of guys that come, I've had a lot of people on the show too. So that kind of leads me into my next question is <clears throat> so you, you know, you clearly were already, you know, having a transition problem when you were still active or in the reserves before you got out. Uh, because you went overseas, did your active duty time. How was that transition 
after you like, okay, I'm getting out of the Marine Corps? So the first, I think, I think the first two or three years were not that bad. Um, because I was so busy with getting my career started and I, I focused really hard on just kind of burying that part of my life and just sort of, you know, letting go the fact, you know, I did my time, I'm moving on and I'm just gonna not necessarily forget about it, but just try and try and, you know, whatever you call it, reassimilate. And I tried that and I just tried to bury everything. And then back in like 2019, I started to notice the, the residual effects of depression and PTSD and um, isolation and things like that. And so uh, it wasn't the kind of PTSD where, you know, I wanted to be huddled up um, and, and I was always on the edge of taking my own life or, or anything to that extreme, but it was the kind that just made me stop trusting people, made me want to isolate myself, um, not really feeling a sense of purpose anymore. And just kind of going through the motions on a lot of stuff, even though I had my faith and I had good things, I was happily married all that good stuff. Um, you know, that just felt like there was a really, really large part of my life just missing. You know, like I said, mom and dad are both Marines. So I grew up in that mindset and in that, in that kind of atmosphere. And the Marine Corps had such an impression on me. I mean, there are some people who are, you know, who buy in and they do their four years and they get out and they're, you know, they still wear their veteran cap, you know, things like that. But like, I really, I was really in to that because I grew up, I'm only, I'm five, six and I weighed like 130 pounds when I graduated high school and I was covered in pimples and wasn't that popular or funny. So growing up, I just didn't really, there was nothing extraordinary about me. There's nothing that made me any different than anybody else. And so the Marine Corps was like, the first thing that I had in my life that made me stand out and that made allowed me to have something that I could hold on to and be proud of. No, nothing could, nobody could take it away from me. And to just walk away from that feeling like I had left so much on the table, because if I had stayed in, I knew I could have kept getting promoted and, you know, maybe I could have made a whole career out of it, but you know, I just didn't. And so, but I still had this pretty big hole in my life and didn't know how to fill it. And so um, to back up a little bit in 2014, one of the first friends that I made, David West at my reserve unit in Greensboro, he took his own life in 2014. And then a year later in 2015, uh, a Marine who served underneath me in Afghanistan, John Brunel, he took his life and then three weeks later, another friend named Sal who served with us in Afghanistan died in a motorcycle accident. And then th two weeks later, my grandfather died and not to pack it on, but it just, just really felt like 
veteran suicide from that moment on was a really big issue in my life. And not only that, but just the, the perspective of seeing, you know, how you, how you are in your relationships with people, because you might have said goodbye to somebody for the last time. You know, I never talked to John again when I left Afghanistan, never talked to Sal again, all that kind of stuff. So I just really felt like I was missing. The Marine Corps is going to continue on, right? The Marine Corps doesn't need me anymore. But the guys that I served with, the guys and gals that I served with, I felt like I was leaving them behind. And I really needed, I needed to be around other people who understood and had been through what I've been through. Not because a civilian can't understand, but it's just different. You know, it's just different to talk to somebody who has been, because the military is such a unique um, fraternity that it's just, it's, it's like that uh, thing the young kids are saying, if you know, you know. And so um, I was missing that part in my life. And so I, I was like, I miss veterans. I'm tired of hearing about veterans killing themselves. I feel like the issue is isolation, sense of purpose, and um, a void that can never be filled in people who don't understand you. And so I was like, how can I use the tools and the resources that God has given me to love and appreciate and show veterans that they are still, they still need, they still have a purpose. They can be loved and appreciated. And, you know, hopefully we can create some community to prevent suicide. And so in 2019, uh, right after I graduated, we did this thing called hump for the 22 in Greensboro where we put on 22 pounds and we rocked for 22 kilometers. And it was, it was fun. You know, it was sort of just thrown together. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but we made it work and it was a good time. And so I did that for three years. And in 2021, I actually stood up a nonprofit and tried to make it really legit built a website, did the social media stuff. And it was still really hard to get traction. I think the hardest part was convincing people to walk 22 kilometers. It's a lot. Um, it was a lot when you're at your peak, you know, physical condition in the military. It's, it's even more to ask somebody from the air force or the, the Navy who don't hike like that, you know? <laughs> and so, the only people that we had out there were Marines and, and army. And so then comes, I hear about irreverent warriors and they, I'm looking at their business model. I'm looking at their, their social media outlets and everything like that. I'm like, they, they have successfully done something here. I wonder what they're doing differently. And so I put in a request and I had a meeting with, Nate McDonald, who's their COO. And I basically said, you know, what do you think I could do to be able to capture what you guys have? And 
in, in no uncertain terms, he basically said, well, you could be a local coordinator in Greensboro and join the Irreverent Warriors. And I was like, for like a split second, I was, was like, well, but I kind of have this other thing that I like doing. It's kind of like my thing. But then I got to thinking about it and praying about it. And I was like, but look at what they're doing. Their hikes have 150 hikers easy. You know, they've had hikes in the 400s and they have 90 hikes a year. They have a massive social media presence. They have corporate sponsors. It's like, you're never going to be able to replicate this. So if you can't beat them, join them. So I uh, went to my first hike in Raleigh of last year and immediately felt felt the void was filled um, at that first hike in Raleigh. Um, I was immediately greeted by people who look like me, didn't really talk like me. I don't, I don't talk. I've done a good job cleaning up my mouth over the years. Um, but it just felt it, it was everything about the military minus the, the military, <laughs> you know, it was none of the, none of the 15 minutes prior to 15 minutes prior jargon. You know, none of the stuff that you hated. It was just the fun stuff. It was like Friday night at the barracks. And it just, not a care in the world. It was just fun, man. We put on silkies. We paraded around Raleigh. We listened to music. We danced. We laughed. We sang. We ate. I mean, it was just, it was refreshing. And... Honestly, it was it was what I needed um, to really feel whole again, and so that's what I did. And and I I told Nate I was like I'm ready to be a coordinator, and here we are, and we're we're rocking and rolling. We're doing really good things so far. You know that's uh, that's really encouraging because I know that. Um, and I never know what my reach is. You know, we, we, we were looking at analytics today uh, for some of the shows and you just never know. And I, I know you and I discussed this a little bit. You just never know who's out there listening that needs to hear something you say or something I say. And that's why I do this. I am a non-combat veteran. I tell people all the time when I do my TikToks, I put hashtag non-combat veteran because I can't really relate to some of the things that some of the guys struggle with. You know, I just can't. I can't, you know, what I can do is I can encourage you with, you know, what's in, you know, the book that sits next to me all the time. I can show you the Bible and I can show you scripture. And I, I guarantee you there's, I mean, I even had an opportunity to talk to an individual one time and I, I, I can't even remember how we got connected, but somebody said, man, you need to talk to this guy. He's talking about hurting himself and whatever. And I was able, not knowing, right, because I've never done that before, but uh, I learned afterwards a few things, but <clears throat> I just encouraged him with Joshua 1 and 9. And the way I told him, I said, you know, that scripture, it's be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid for the Lord thy God is with thee wherever thou goes. And I said, what that means is that no matter what happens, when your family doesn't want to hear it anymore, when your girlfriend leaves, when your battle buddies are not answering their phone, 
there's still an inexhaustible source that you can reach out to. And so you are never alone, period. You know, and so that's what I have. Um, <clears throat> but it really is important that people like you get involved with stuff because, you know, when someone like, and I'm not saying that, I mean, we're all military, so there's already a kinship there. You know, it, you know of course, us, you know, Navy guys and Air Force guys don't PT like y'all do, but uh, that's because we have guys on the ship making homemade donuts and bread. You know, I mean, I don't know how you get, how you get around that. Yeah. But uh, <clears throat> the um, it's it's a lot. I could see somebody, and one of the reasons why I've never got into it is I could see somebody who who you know if I if they if I was trying to talk to them about something, I could easily say, "Man, have you ever been? Have you ever been shot at?" No, I have. You know, do you know what it's like? I said, "No, I don't." And so, and so people who have been in theater can say those things. Yeah, I have. And it's great to have somebody who is godly and has struggled and come out the other side with whatever resources, you know, I think God's just set you up. Like, I mean, he's given you lots of ammunition, you know, he has. And I think the other thing too is he's given me perspective and empathy towards things that I can't understand. You know, yeah, I've been shot at, but it wasn't, we were, we passed through a lot of firefights. It wasn't, it wasn't constant for me. I can't sit here and, you know, I don't have a combat action ribbon or anything like that. But, you know, I think the other part that Irreverent Warriors has done is it's broken down the stigma that, um, just because you haven't been in those situations doesn't mean that you, you know, don't struggle. Um, because we, we care about, we don't, veteran suicide can be caused by a lot of different things, not just PTSD. Right. So it can be caused by, again, no purpose, isolation, um, feeling like you're letting everybody down, things like that. You get out of the military and you think that you're going to have this plan and then it's just going to be foolproof. You're going to go to school. You're going to get a great job. You're going to get, and then stuff starts breaking down. And then the next thing you know, you know, you're somebody finds you dead. And so we have broken down that barrier of this is not just a combat veteran problem. This is a veteran problem and not every veteran has that experience and we're never going to discount them for that. And so, I mean, we, we have coasties who are, who are part of irreverent warriors who are value members of, of what we do. And the thing that I love about irreverent warriors is when I'm around them, we don't even talk about what, you know, what we did or didn't really do in the military. It's just, what are you doing now? And how are you using the life that God has given you to enrich yourself, to, um, to love your neighbor, to love others? That's the kind of thing that I, I put on those around me is, like, yes, I, I, I love the opportunity to witness to others, but I make the connection first. And I prayed for well over a year 
that God might give me an opportunity to be able to love others and to specifically be able to, to love and witness to the veteran community because, you know, many years went by and I'm sitting there going, why was it that I was in this situation and I got to live? I dealt with a lot of survivor's guilt. Why did I live? Why did he die? Why did she die? And so I dealt with that for the longest time. And actually what's funny is my old driver from Afghanistan, his name is Bobby Baker. Bobby got out of the Marine Corps in like 2015. And he got married before he got out. Quickly after he got out, they started having problems. He They separated. He used to call me in the middle of the night drunk and he must have done that 10 times and i always picked up the phone and so all those times um you know i would just sit there and talk to him and i'd say bobby you know you're gonna be fine like go back to sleep you know call me in the morning things like that you know try to encourage him and one night i remember i was really upset because i think i just I either had a really early morning ahead of me or I had a really late night behind me. And I answered, but I was upset because I wanted to sleep. And I told Bobby, I was like, look, dude, you need to get it together because people died so that we could continue on and make something of our lives. If you're not able to use the life that you have, to do something that's of value, then they died for nothing. And so if I do nothing else with my life, it's to one, live for Christ, but two, also live for the people who give me the freedoms to be able to witness to others for Christ. You know, people don't realize that there's countries in the world where it's illegal to talk about Jesus Christ. And so people died for that freedom so that we could still do that. And so for me, to be able to witness to a veteran, it's really valuable to me. And that's really the void. So I get to use the experiences that I had in the Marine Corps. I get to use them for God's glory. And I get to do it really with, without even the intention of trying to save someone, but just to love them. And maybe God uses that relationship in the future. I don't know. But he, he called me to love him first and then to love my neighbor second and so those are the two greatest commandments and i take that very seriously i i, I worked for many years on learning how to love people unconditionally um especially i'll just be honest with you especially those of islamic uh descent anybody who like wore the mam jams or had face you know head coverings and stuff it was like an immediate triggered response and it took me years to to work through that. I can't say that I'm going to walk up and give somebody a hug like that, but at least I could have the confidence to go and speak to them and you know, not have the transgression in my heart towards them. And that took a lot of prayer and a lot of time. And you know, so it and it makes me more effective in this organization to be able to love others um because somebody needs to frankly. Um, these veterans, they need love. They need acceptance, 
regardless of what their past is, they just need blanket love. I mean, they just need it. They don't need any strings attached. Sometimes they don't even, they don't even really need me to say anything. Sometimes they just need me to listen. And that's not easy to do if all you're thinking about is yourself. So that's really in a nutshell what God has provided me with the Reverend Warriors. So before we move forward, because there's some things I want to ask you about that, but I want to go back a little bit. So, um, and the way I say it, I mean, everybody says, well, I got saved. I always tell people, you know, in 2016 is when I surrendered my life completely to Christ. And so everything, he's got everything. He, you know, like you should maybe mentioned earlier about money. You know, my wife and I came to the realization that nothing we own, not a penny in the bank, not a blade of grass on the farm, you know, nothing belongs to us. It's all his. We've just been getting given stewardship over it. Yep. And I don't want to get to the end and God say, well, man, you know, you could have been a much better steward than what you were. And, you know, so you have to, like you say, you have to let go of yourself uh, and put others first. And that's hard, especially I think for a lot of us guys, you know, military, regardless of what you did in the service or what period you served in, you know, we're pretty, we're built up to be pretty independent and pretty strong, uh, you know, by the military, by just the, you know, being in service, I mean, you're even, even the air force guys, uh, nobody get your feelings hurt, but, um, they need love too. <laughs> you know, they need love too. And my coasties too. I hope Michael's watching. Uh, he's actually a retired chief. And I think he did some spec ops stuff too, but I give him a ration cause you know, he's a coastie. I mean, you gotta give him, it's like default. You gotta give him crap. Um, and then, of course, you know, us and you guys are always at each other's throats. But, um, <laughs> you know, when we're out in town, it's a different story. And uh, on base, it's, you know, it's one thing. But uh, my best friends were, uh, they were two guys from Texas, and they were both Marines. And uh, when we were when we were in, in California. But anyway, um, I love the fact, man, that you, well, what I was getting at was, <clears throat> did you, uh, did you join the service? Were you already a fully surrendered follower of Christ or uh, did that come through the military? Did it come in between? How did that happen? So I met my, my now wife in 2012 and we dated for like two weeks. And she basically said, if you're not interested in a relationship with Christ, uh, this is not going to go any further. And so, wow. That, uh, so I started going to church with her and at first it was just cause I really liked her. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And it just turned into a lot more over the years. And really like when I was feeling that void of, you know, what I was missing from like the military community, um, I really dumped a lot of myself into the church. And I, I haven't necessarily, I haven't stopped doing that and replaced it with the Reverend Warriors, but that time that I had, I was being equipped to what I'm doing now. Um, I lead a discipleship group of, I lead three other men. And then the last two years before this, I was being equipped for discipleship. And so it's a multiplication process. And so I'm continually being equipped and I'm equipping others. Um, 
And so, but yeah, I, I came, I surrendered in October of 2012, right before I left for deployment. And it was pretty rough the first like two years of that life trying to get straight because, um, I mean, Afghanistan, like totally isolated. And I was really such a young believer. Like I really, I really didn't have the good habits and tendencies to, I mean, I, I knew right and wrong and things like that. And I was like trying to do the right thing as much as I could, you know, clean up my language, um, trying to do what I thought I could do that I knew up to that point, you know, I didn't know a whole lot and it wasn't, it wasn't that I was trying to live by a set of rules or anything. I, but I didn't fully grasp grace at the time either. So, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I tried to clean my act up as much as I could. Um, but I didn't really have a lot of support and foundation to lean on. Um, I got back from Afghanistan and I actually sh put God in a box for a while um, because mm. I felt like God had done so much for me um, while I was in Afghanistan that the little stuff that I was struggling with back home afterwards were so minuscule that, you know, I, I didn't really feel like God needed to hear about that stuff. And I was completely wrong about that. And so really over the next like two years we were going to a, my wife's home church and it was really when we decided to leave that church which is about 30 minutes away from us i was missing community i got out of the marine corps and i didn't have the sense of community that i needed so we joined a church in, in greensboro and joined a church that had a, a solid community and so we we've been going to there ever since 2016. So I guess I was still in the Marine Corps at the time, but was still missing, um, was still missing what I felt like was growth in my faith. I had hit kind of a, a peak. Um, but it was really at Westover that where I really had, I learned a lot and really, you know, transitioned a lot. You know, it's interesting because um, first off, I'm going to praise your wife for her to tell you that if you weren't interested in a relationship with Christ, that y'all weren't going to go any further. That's her in a nutshell. That is absolutely amazing. It's a blessing. God bless her. I pray that she bestows her personality to every woman that she runs into because that is so unique. Um, yeah, her to be that bold and that upfront, regardless of what she was feeling uh, emotionally for you. It's like God first. Yeah. Um, so that's amazing. And the other thing, too, is, you know, something that you mentioned is something that I think us Christians, we we, we don't uh, always. I don't know why my camera keeps doing that. Uh, maybe I should move my hands. Um, I think that we miss the mark sometimes because discipleship is so important. Um, you know, the the devil the way he works is the second that me or you or anybody else surrenders our life to Christ, he comes gunning. I mean, he comes with everything he's got. And if he can't get you, he's going to get your wife and he can't get your wife. He's going to go after your kids. If he can't get your kids, yeah. he can go after your job. And so if you don't have that, that support system, you know, and then like, 
like you said, you surrendered and then boom, you got deployed, you know, and man, I mean, you know, you were missing that, that discipleship that you're giving to other people now. Yeah. And, uh, and that I was very blessed that, that uh, one of the people that I had with me uh, when I first surrendered, uh, he's, he had done a couple of, he'd done three tours. I think the last one was, in, he was in the 82nd, did like 61 jumps uh, before he got a profile on his legs and then he couldn't jump anymore. He did combat jumps. He did, you know, he did time in Afghanistan. He did time everywhere. And so, and he had a really, really, you know, unique perspective about uh, uh, how to transition as far as dealing with your PTSD with God versus, you know, um, other, all the other means. And there's a lot of means out there besides the VA. Uh, There's a lot of stuff, resources today, because we've gotten better at it, but I was very fortunate to have him as I was moving and he instilled some really deep, you know, beliefs that I still have. And um, one thing I loved about him is that he never told me, JR, this is what I think, or this is what I think you should do, or this is how you should look at this scenario that you're in. He always said, this is what the Bible says about it. Right. You know, he always went to scripture always, always, always. And so I, I just, I just think it's awesome that you're where you're at because you're in a position, you know, to be there for guys that the system has failed in other circumstances, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what we really try to do at Reverend Warriors is, you know, people, we've gotten suggestions before, like you guys should offer professional resources and you guys should, you know, have liaisons and things like that. And, while that's all really valuable, all those things are kind of in place already. And so we, that's not necessarily our bread and butter. Our bread and butter butter is bringing veterans together. Our community is, is what we thrive on our our community. Cause if we can get veterans plugged into the community, the resources are there and we know about them. And there are people who can help you get the resources that you need. You know, we're, I, I like to tell people that we're like a glue between other veteran support organizations in the VA. We, we, somebody here has dealt with what you need and can point you in the right direction. You only have to ask. And so that is what we try to do is, is we, we bring veterans in, we love them. We give them the sense of purpose and community that they were missing before in their lives. We show them they care. And we try to encourage them to get better or maybe they figure out for themselves that they need to get better and they get the help for themselves because they see this person here who, who I'll use the word damage. It's not really what they are, but just for lack of better words, who is damaged and wants to get better and is getting better. And they're like, they can do it. And they're doing it with the help of the Reverend Warriors and the community and the other people around them who are encouraging them to get better. You know, you were talking about 75 hard before we joined this at the beginning of this year, there's like a huge amount of people, at least in leadership from Reverend Warriors who were doing 75 hard together and holding, holding each other accountable. Like people who didn't even really know each other that well, don't live, don't live near each other. They're just connected through social media and they're connected through the IW family. And so um, 
that's really what it's about for us, man. It's, it's, and I love that it, like, there's no stipulations. It's no strings attached. There are, it is just show up as you are. You're welcome here. We love you. We want you to be a part of our organization and come wear silkies, eat crayons, and have a good time. <laughs> okay, we got to hit a couple of things. <laughs> First off, Frank Mantua, who's watching, uh, I don't know if you know Frank. Frank is a Marine, okay? And uh, Frank is a Marine who uh, created crayons, edible crayons. Yeah. And, and they're called CREs, crayons ready to eat. And they come in little packages that look like they kind of mimic the MRE. You said he's watching? With black writing on them. And, uh, and so <laughs> you said he's watching, he's watching. Yeah. Well, I just ate a real crayon. So send me some, send me some, uh, edible ones. <laughs> yeah. There you go, Frank. Yeah. Uh, give me some crayons to raffle off at our hike. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he's, he's awesome. He's, he's just, they just got their, their, um, co-packer who's going to make them, uh, that's compliant with FDA and all that stuff. I'm probably gonna get sick. No, I'm and uh, right, and so uh, my teeth. the way you bit into that, I bet it's not the first time. So I'm just uh, saying. Well, it's not a red one. I spit it back out. I thought my daughter brought me a red one. It's pink. I like the cherry uh, or the strawberry. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, we, we need to get Frank to get you some some edible ones. Um, I and I lost my train of thought. I was laughing so hard. I can't believe you just bit it in real <laughs> Frank, you need to get on this. Uh, we need to stop Marines from eating anything but CREs. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I'm sold on the Reverend Warriors. I'm going to get a hold of the New Braunfels chapter and uh and i'm gonna go check them out and and uh oh, i wanted to say so uh i'm not doing uh, i did 75 hard i started then i got covid and i had to stop because i was i mean i literally couldn't get out of bed for a few days but uh i'm doing something called caleb 49 and uh the reason i chose caleb 49 and the individual who who is is the guy behind it uh pk brian stacy uh, is one he's a veteran Two, he's a believer like we are, and uh, and I know him personally. I mean, he's he's been to my house, and I've, I've shared a meal with him, and so I know he's a good man. I know he's a follower of Christ, and uh, and I love, you know, Caleb was 85 years old, and he was doing things that 40-year-olds were doing, and so uh, that's one of his things that he likes to, to remind people, you know, that just because we get old doesn't mean that we have to get old. And so we got to take care of our body. And he's, he's, he's been a great supporter of me for many years. Um, and, and I love him for it. But anyway, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to get involved with, with the local group because I, I mean, I see you guys on Facebook, like you said, you have a huge uh, social media presence and I love that idea, you know, and whatever I can do to help, you know, is definitely, um, and I think if people, everybody gets involved, if we all get involved, we can actually do something to reduce the numbers uh, of our men and women who are got to stop moving again, uh, are, that they think that the only hope that they have is to leave. 
you know? And so um, I'm so glad you came on. I didn't know what to expect. I read a little bit about you, but, um, and I know we talked just a little bit, but I really admire what you're doing. You've taken a gift that God's given you um, and you're using it for something that is going to change people's lives. Uh, hopefully save a bunch of them because that's what we really need. And, uh, you know, yeah, we're, we're hoping that this year we can try and captivate some, some data to be able to have some measurable KPIs to, to actually see how well we're doing. A lot of that is done through surveys and stuff like that. And so we're hoping that we have some important information from that. We do have research from the VA um, between 2018 and 2019, our numbers have dropped, I think 7%. And so I mean, it's all good news. We're still up in the 20 to 22, uh, per day range, but the scary part is that we haven't seen the numbers from COVID yet. So yeah, the, because yeah. the VA releases a report every single year and they're about two years behind on the data. So I did, I looked into the data from 20. 21, the end of 2021 as they released it for 2019. So when they release it this year at the end of 2022, it's going to be on the data for 2020. And that's probably going to be pretty horrendous. Yeah. Cause and, and it, it's not just veterans either. Like people who had issues anyway with being isolated, uh, that didn't help anything. And, and, uh, my wife is in that she she's an epidemiologist and so um you know she she deals firsthand with i mean you talk about people who like they just get frustrated call her and rip her ears off for no reason and then you think about you just multiply that with the masses and then people that already have issues you know with being isolated or really maybe they don't even know that they shouldn't be isolating and they had no choice and so yeah. i think that I think those numbers are not going to be great for anybody, but yeah. I think well, let me, let me mention how people can, so that, that link tree got the bottom, the second T should be in R. Um, oh, is it? It's all good. Yeah. Link tree. I like NK TR. There you go. Um, okay. okay. So we have a pretty large social media following. Like I said, okay. on Facebook, if you want to find a chapter, it's going to be IW space dash space and then the name of the city. And then for Instagram, it's IW dot and then the city. So another thing that you could do is go to the National Reverend Warriors page, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, and say, hey, I live in this area. Do you guys have a hike nearby? And somebody will help you. So if you're trying to find a hike, you can do it that way. You can also go to reverendwarriors.com, go to the events page, and if and they have all the hikes for the whole year. There's 90 hikes. And so you can if if you can click on a link, that means that link is ready to go and you're able to sign up for the hike. The hikes are either zero or five dollars or whatever you want to donate. Um, we don't require money for people to hike, but some a lot of people end up putting five dollars in the pot or whatever. And so there's that. And then we also have a lot of subgroups. Like we just opened another one for cooking. We've got some for IW outdoors for people who like to do out outdoor recreational therapy. 
Um, find a local chapter. Again, there's no strings attached. So you're not joining some sort of club. Okay. This is just find a chapter, subscribe to the, or join the group and pay attention and, and see, see about going out to event, go to a hike. I promise you it will change your life. And if it doesn't come find me and you can come to my hike and it'll change your life. <laughs> and then, yeah, so we're, we're in Greensboro, North Carolina. This will be our first hike this year. Um, we've, we've done a, a really good job and so far with planning and organizing, we've got some, some great, um, stops planned already. I will say if you're, I get this sometimes, some people will tell me that they don't, they won't go to hikes and stuff like that because, um, we stop at a lot of bars and there is some drinking and you shouldn't be surprised. Okay. But the thing that, so a lot of folks who are struggling with alcohol rehabilitation, they struggle with that. They don't want to be around it. Totally understandable. And, but you know, I will say that we try to do a good job of having events that are not, that don't have any alcohol there. Like my chapter, we're going to Hanging Rock, which is uh, a mountain about 45 minutes from us. We're going to do some camping. It's a state park, so there's no alcohol allowed. So don't worry about that aspect of it. Um, there's other opportunities and other places that, you know, other chances that you can come and have community with us Don't that don't involve drinking. There's actually a lot of people at the hikes who are sober and, you know, have been through the process and all that. And if you're, you want to go to a hike, but you're afraid of, you know, maybe you don't know somebody and you need some accountability, you know, send a message to the coordinator and say, Hey, look, I'm sober. Is there somebody there you can link me up with who can kind of be there with me? And there's going to be little packs within the hike where people who are sober are going to hang out with one another and keep each other accountable. That, that is a thing. I've, I've seen it before. I've even heard of people saying, you know, I wish we could have all sober hikes and you know, I don't know, maybe one day, you know, I don't drink at the hikes because I like to stay, you know, sharp because I'm in leadership and I don't need to be doing that. But, and also just don't need to drink to have a good time. And so, um, but when the hike's over, you know, we have after parties, you know, yeah, I might have one or two just to, you know, whatever, just hang out. Um, But yeah, so it's, it's a really good environment. The people there, you, and the other thing too, you meet some people there who are, who have been through some serious stuff. And I've heard so many crazy stories uh, from people. I met people who like were in some of the worst places at some of the worst times. And so it's really, it's really, you're in the presence of some of the best warriors of this generation at some of these hikes. Truly. That's awesome. You get to meet I, cool people. I put a name in the link here. If, when you go back and look at it or whatever, James A. Feltz, um, he is a former uh, <clears throat> Army Ranger officer and he lives in Raleigh. And uh, he's part of Joint Task 214, which is a coaching group with another retired uh, 
Lieutenant Colonel, I think. Um, I don't know. They were both special forces, army guys. And, uh, but James is in that area and he's an awesome guy and he's a believer. And I don't know, maybe he'll go to one of your, one of your hikes, man, or who knows? I mean, he's, he's just a good guy to know all the way around. By the way, if you don't know what silkies are, got some fresh ones here for you. <laughs> yeah. Listen, fluffy guys don't wear silkies, bro. I'm just saying <laughs> you skinny guys can take that all day long. <laughs> one of my coordinators is about 260. And tomorrow we're having an event at a bar downtown and he will be in silkies. Oh my, no pictures, please. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> fluffy guys can wear silkies. Uh, and here's the other thing too. You see some crazy stuff at these hikes. There's actually a, a shirt on Warriors. You can buy this shirt. Somebody showed up with a pink shirt, a crop top, and the picture is a fluffy uh, veteran wearing a crop top pink shirt. I mean, it's just like, it's hilarious. Funny. That is funny. I mean, I would go see that. I'd go watch that. Yeah. Uh, and, and people show up in crazy stuff too. Like the, the hike uh, in Cincinnati last year was on Halloween. And so everybody wore Halloween costumes. And, you know, I, I think the, I saw somebody wearing one of those inflatable uh, dinosaur costumes to a hike last year. Like just crazy stuff, man. It's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, that's crazy. I, I am looking forward though because uh, it gives accountability and and you know my my trainer PK Stacy and and Robert Torres who's a Marine uh, here in San Antonio uh, those two guys are always on my you know and we always start the same way because I always let myself go really way out and then to reel me back in you know I we start with hikes and we got I know all the little parks around here and the places where you can go and nice trails. Uh, to get started again. And so that's how I usually start my fit. I start with, with hiking. And, um, but you know, like I, right now I can go, I can go walk quite a distance. That's one thing I've always, me too. Regardless of where I was at, I've always been, I don't run. Know, my dad, yeah. My, my dad was like, that too. yeah, I can, I can, and I can walk in boots or tennis shoes or, you know, combat boots. I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, a lot of people walking in Crocs. I don't do I don't do shoes that don't have uh, support anymore. I used to yeah. wear, uh, you know, the uh, like Vans, and uh, yeah, I can't. VA issued me some inserts tonight, and I've I've migrated over to the high top uh, Converse's so that I can wear them with casual clothes and still and still be able to put my inserts in them because my inserts they'll push my foot out if I wear tennis shoes. So I put on the, the high tops and I'm all good. Yeah. And, and I always, I, I use new balance cause they're made here and uh, you know, I order them and they, it's the way to go, especially when you're a little bit bigger guy, but I still want to do a triathlon as a Clydesdale. So that that's my goal for this year. Nice. By the end of the year, I want to do a, a Clydesdale class. Um, triathlon so we'll see how that goes um it's never about me it's always about my guests and it's always about god and um and it's always about country and there's always coffee involved somehow um and right now i can smell coffee because my hat 
no longer smells like I had. It smells like roasted coffee. So, mm. um, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm definitely going to share this out. I, I really want people to, uh, to connect with you and, um, and I'm going to reach out to the local New Braunfels, uh, chapter over here and see what they got going on. And, um, uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Don't ever let off the gas, man. God's got you in a position right now where, um, it's one thing that my wife and I always like to say, <clears throat> sometimes you say something really big, right? And it's like, it's right out of scripture or it's out of experience and it's huge. And you're like, wow, man, that really hit me. You know, it's big. Sometimes you say like the smallest thing, but it hits somebody in a way that you may never know ever, you know? And so that's part of our commission, right? We're supposed to make disciples and we're supposed to plant seeds and God doesn't always let us harvest those seeds. And most of the time we don't get to water them or cultivate them or anything. We're just supposed to plant them. But, you know, it goes back to what I was saying. Like it, some, it doesn't, like you just never know at what point what comes out of your mouth that somebody needs to hear. And that's why I love the podcast because even after we're done, people will watch it on YouTube. They'll watch it on all the different, you know, platforms that we have, they'll watch it on. Uh, uh, it goes out to all the, uh, like Amazon podcast and Stitcher and Spotify and all those. And so people will download it and, and, you know, the message needs to be heard and somebody out there is waiting to hear it. So, um, thanks for taking your time out on a Friday night. Um, and, uh, I look forward to see what you're doing. Hopefully see you on a, on a hike somewhere, man. Yeah. If I come to Dallas, you're gonna have to come out. Yeah, for sure. Come all man. that way, you have to come a couple hours for me. It's not bad, man. I, you know, it's I got a lot of people in Dallas, so cool. Uh, well, listen, man, I'm gonna put you in the green room. I'm gonna close the show out. Hang on tight for just for one second. I'll get back to you in just a minute. I'm gonna close this out. And uh, thanks again for for your time, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. There you go, folks. Episode seven, season two, God Country Coffee. And it just, I tell you that I don't hand select my my uh, guests. I put notices that I need guests and kind of a ballpark of what I'm looking for. And you just never know what you're going to get. And God just keeps blessing us with people who are doing such great work in his ministry. And so if you don't know anything about that, reach out to me, reach out to Chris. Uh, if you need a Bible, reach out to me, send me a message. I, I buy Bibles to give away. Um, and so if you just need somebody to talk to, reach out. If you're a veteran, you want to get involved with the uh, Irreverent Warriors. I didn't know much about it, but I'm excited to know about it now and excited to, to reach out to my local chapter. So like I always end my show, treat each other the way God intended us to treat one another with love, kindness, and respect. Until next week, God bless you.